0: Hello and welcome back to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am as always your host, Jack Smart, the awards editor at Backstage, your guide to the acting industry and the most trusted name in casting. We're here to give you a behind the scenes look at some of the buzziest contenders for the small screen's biggest trophy, the Emmy Award. This season of In the Envelope is brought to you by HBO get your ass in there
1: and then see as much as you can. Yeah. Like small theaters, go there and say, I don't have any money. Can I usher for the night? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. can I do the coat check and then watch the second half of the show or some shit like that?
2: Right. Hey. hey, Jamie. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. How was your whirlwind trip
0: to LA uh, recent yeah that's right I had a recent whirlwind trip to LA for the purpose of yeah interviewing Emmy nominees for this podcast and um, I'm really excited to unveil yeah who it was we talked to and what we talked about it was definitely a um, a kind of a crazy thing because I flew in from New York and proceeded to just interview Emmy nominees back to back to back to back to back, to back. Um, it was really insane I did not check into my hotel and get in and out burger until I was done with the interview marathon
2: (laughs) Um, well that has to be done at some point (laughs) it's
0: the very top of the list shout out to in and out burger they're our new sponsor for in the envelope um
2: (laughs) not any good for the east coast unfortunately
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah totally um yeah it was a great day I mean I'm so excited to I can't I guess we can't quite reveal what how many we packed in and who was it but uh we got some good stuff
2: I think we can say how many. It's impressive that you did four in one day.
0: Four in one day, I did. I did four in one day, and one involved visiting a set on the Disney and ABC lots. Um, mm. and I think that uh, actors are going to want to hear from people on both coasts. <laughs> I guess people want to absolutely, you know. And I think that was that was better than the talking over the phone. It's always you know good to get an interview in person.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're we're trying to reduce those phone interviews, and it's yeah. great to get these interviews. But uh, there's nothing beats seeing the white to the eyes, and that's right. Interacting in, and the, in the soul, bedroom.
0: staring into the soul, or they they stare into song. my soul, and sometimes they reveal secrets about myself.
2: And, we're getting a bit meta. Uh,
0: that's coming up next on the podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, um, speaking of LA, and speaking of people, yeah, people stationed there, uh, Bob Odenkirk joined us on the podcast yeah and um he's as i'm sure as many listeners know he's a brilliant actor uh introduced uh in the dramatic scene in breaking bad for a couple episodes and was kind of written to be a more and more important character until he got his own spinoff show better call saul a prequel to breaking bad yeah um for which he's been emmy nominated a bunch of times and we got into it it was a great interview wasn't it
2: I was I was thrilled that we got Bob on the show because I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan and I really love Better Call Saul as well. That's that's really ramping up there. Yeah, Um, Mm. but he was very honest about his journey and the 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 industry and humble and gracious. Yeah, great. Yeah,
0: well, and I also it's interesting to hear from someone who considers himself first and foremost a writer. Um, He you know grew up in the Chicago comedy community, like many of our guests actually. and he, he has to write every day. It's a compulsive thing. And, and so he has a lot of really great writing advice. Um, you know, he's written especially for comedy on the comedy side of things with, with sketch shows like Mr. Show and the more recent kind of revival of that called uh, With Bob and David uh, with his collaborator, David Cross. But, of course, he's got a separate form of fandom with the, the Breaking Bad universe. Absolutely. Better Call Saul. Right. So, so should yeah. we get straight to it? We should get to it. Uh, uh, Let's take a short break and go to our interview with Bob Odenkirk. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original film, Wizard of Lies. Starring Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer as Bernie and Ruth Madoff, this HBO film's production examines Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. Newsday writes, The acting is impeccable and the direction scalpel sharp. For your Emmy consideration, an outstanding television movie and all other categories. Bob Odenkirk is an actor, writer, comedian, and 12-time Emmy nominee. Three of those nominations are for Better Call Saul, AMC's prequel to Breaking Bad. Bob's experience as a writer informs his process as an actor, and at the end of this interview he reveals how he reverse-engineers a script when he receives it into a fine-tuned performance. Here it is, our interview with Bob Odenkirk. Did you ever use backstage in your in your early days? I did not. Ah. Um, I was very
1: focused on doing my own. Um, uh, I was, you know, in a lot of ways, I thought about Steve Martin and Woody Allen as the people Mm -hmm. whose careers I was trying to copy. Mm -hmm. So, just writing my own stuff and putting it up. Writing my own stuff, whether it was jokes or sketches. Um, that was my journey. I mean, I looked at backstage, I would pick it up and flip through it. Oh, okay, yeah. But it, it, yeah, I mean, but it was so much for theatrical artists mm-hmm. and probably a time when, um, there was more, you know, everything is more fluid now.
0: Yeah. Oh, these days, even backstage casting notices have changed. Yeah.
1: And wonderful.
0: I think sure. only it's only for the good as as an artist I think. I agree. But and it's the golden age of television. So there's plenty of TV right. roles.
1: Wonderful TV roles, wonderful TV writing, but also people then moving over and doing live theater. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I was just talking to Tom Hanks, he's going to do some Shakespeare
0: here. Oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Soon. Tom after Hanks and, uh, I assume you were talking to him on the set of uh, the papers. Is that correct? Yes. Well, it's I also wanted to ask you because here we are on not quite radio, but um, you have experience with the with the audio and with the airwaves be- before. That's where you first honed your comedy chops. Is that right? Absolutely. I you know, when I was a
1: kid, I loved um, the credibility gap, which was a comedy radio oh. troupe out of Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Uh, that featured Michael McKeon and David Lander and Harry Shearer. Michael McKean, Shearer. yeah, yeah, when he was just out of college, yeah. Very cool. He did a comedy radio show, and they they put out two albums, uh, and I had one of them. Um, and I also loved the Firesign Theater.
0: Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. And yeah, Steve Dahl was a comedy uh, host in in Chicago, who made me very happy. Cool. With his wow. funny, casual, crude,
0: um, and uh, cynical outlook. <laughs> I, I mean, I really that love... must have informed you. I, I keep thinking that you just have so many different influences. Um, yeah,
1: I really do. I, I really your... do. I really feel like these... Maybe it was the gift my dad gave me by not being around. <laughs> you know, right. you're, yeah. you're looking for... <laughs> how do you build—you know, what do you—how do you be in the world? hmm And— mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, for me, all these different comedy influences. But, uh, you know, the thing about theater—and you asked me about backstage and, and my mm-hmm. feelings towards theater are interesting because I did a play. One of the first things I did when I moved to Chicago was—and mm-hmm. I helped finance it with money I had inherited— uh, a, a production of Line by Israel Horowitz.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's his most famous play, I would think. It ran for 13 years off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pacino was in it, and cool. uh, as well as he was in Indian Wants the Bronx, which uh, Israel wrote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you self-produced yeah, it. Well, I helped with the produ- production of it and played a major role in it. And uh, that was the only theater I did... In my life. Oh, wow. That play. Oh. Um, and it was a great experience, but... Um, Why haven't you done it since? You know, my, my uh, fallback uh, position when when there's not work in front of me mm. mm-hmm. is to take out a piece of paper and try to write something. Yeah. It's never to search for um, somebody else's work that I can put on. It just isn't. It's just where mm-hmm. I. It's just. It's just a natural place that my my head goes to uh, yeah. immediately, and um, the only thing I can think is I started to rewrite Richard the Oh wow! As a comedy? because or... I no. It, I, I've always struggled. I, I've always wanted to like Shakespeare, and I've read all these books about Shakespeare because I find him fascinating, and uh, I find the the effort to discover Shakespeare funny. You know, all the, all the work yeah. people have put into trying to find out who he was and what is true. There's a great Bill Bryson book about Shakespeare.
0: So you're fascinated by Shakespeare. So, yeah, I want
1: Shakespeare to work for me, but I struggle with it. So I thought, what if I just took it and rewrote it Mm -hmm. So that it made sense to me, you know, Mm -hmm. looked at each line, tried to figure out what it meant and tried to put it in words I could understand, which has been done a million times by other people who are better than me. But I I would do a Mm -hmm. version and Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and and present
0: that to the public. (laughs) Interesting. Here you go. Here you go. (laughs) Shakespeare. Um, (laughs) And you just did that just because you wanted to you wanted to study it. I'd like to try to make
1: it work for me. I'd like to really understand it. Yeah. And 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 of course, probably the purist would be like, "Well, then learn old English, you lazy bones." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't rewrite him. <laughs> Just do, you know, learn how to speak in that cadence and mm-hmm. with those you know meanings. But I, I don't know. We'll see if I ever get there. Well,
0: and I think there's a ton of structural you can structural learning from Shakespeare, right? Like the way that he the five-act structure and the the way that the comedies are formed versus the tragedies. I mean, that's similar to sketch writing, right?
1: Um, Yeah, it's probably more similar to uh, film writing. Yeah.
0: Um, Or Better Call Saul. Maybe Better Call Saul is Yeah, or Better
1: Call Saul, yeah. I mean, a lot of people reference Shakespeare when they talk about the writing of Breaking Mm. Bad, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and maybe even more so with Better Call Saul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the family dynamic being so powerful and the uh drives of retribution mm. and yeah. um c- conquering people like basically trying to conquer each other. Yeah. Um
0: individually.
1: Yeah. That very <laughs> direct know.
0: conflict, yeah.
1: Yeah. It is
0: I guess Shakespearean. I cannot speak from great knowledge. <laughs> well, it's I mean it's an amazing show. It's so interesting to me that you I was reading up and I saw in an interview that Vince Gilligan actually said that he has no idea how Jimmy McGill becomes Saul Goodman. I I don't even think he said this that long ago. Like this was maybe even three seasons into this show. Does that, you're in a prequel. You're playing Mm -hmm. a character who we've already seen and we've seen his kind of end result, but he's very, very different in this show. And we see glimmers of the later character. Does that Scare you as an actor that the yes, creator, for sure. yeah, that he has kind of no idea exactly how he's going to get there.
1: No, um, because I have such faith in Vince and Peter Gould, the mm-hmm. two people who are finding this story every day and and searching it out. Um, and I also would uh, present to you, and I think Vince would agree, mm-hmm. that it's not a huge comfort, but there's a little bit of a safety valve in that. Um, Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad who we all know mm-hmm. we never knew him personally we no. never knew his personal life mm-hmm. um we saw him in a certain aspect of his daily existence which mm-hmm. is his work mm-hmm. and he was uh you know presenting himself in a certain way that he admitted was fraudulent ah. and and a put on <laughs> and and so with a few exceptions uh with very few exceptions, everything he did fit this persona that he was playing at his job, and so we don't know. We don't know what his personal life was like. There's there's a lot of aspects of Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad that they can fill in, and and we can't argue with because right. we never saw it. Right. So so while it's true that they have to get to this character and that they. Mm. These guys, by the way, they like writing themselves into a corner. I'm they have
0: to because they do it over and over and over. Totally. And they and they get out of it by these really compelling but always logical for the character's ways. Yeah.
1: If that makes sense. Yeah. I yes, it does make sense. I and they they work so hard to get there. They really suffer for their work. Yeah. And um Huh. And it pays off though, because they're wonderful thinkers about human human behavior. I think they think okay. on a deep level, and they don't let themselves take easy um, easy outs. And they they really study a person's motivation, and then they go deeper than that. They they go what mm. what could be beyond that to drive the person. But in the case of Saul Goodman. It might, I mean, I don't know if we'll do it, but it might be interesting to see him during the time period of Breaking Bad. Oh, wow. And yeah. maybe see some dimension to him that we never saw. That personal life
0: and, you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, his
1: personal life and, mm. and who he might have been mm. really. I mean, I when I did Breaking Bad, I assume Saul went to work, then he went to the strip club for. Mm. And ate, ate ate his dinner at the strip club. <laughs> yeah. Um, Accurate. And then went home with one of the girls, or in some way hired <laughs> hired a companion sure. for the night. Sure. And you certainly then couldn't have dreamed any, then... of the,
0: any of this backstory that has come out in Better Call Saul. None of that detail was in your mind. Yeah. Uh, what are you saying? Like you certainly didn't. When you first encountered this character of Saul Goodman, you no one knew anything about th- that he was overshadowed by his brother, and he had this very yeah, complicated relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't know any of that.
1: Right. But what I did know was that that he was presenting a front. He he admits that in the first episode. He's in totally. This isn't me. My name is James McGill. Yeah. yeah. This is just a fake name I took to, you know, to attract the homeboys. Yeah. And I. Uh, and just in that monologue that he gives in that first time Walter White comes in his office, mm-hmm. you can you can draw build a, a lot around that. And there was enough there for right. me to know that you know everybody, everybody does have a persona at work. and and everybody does mm. have a a private persona, or rather a persona when they're with their family. Mm-hmm. or with their significant other, sure. and then they have yet another when they're alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on now. A lot of things in the world are, a lot of drama in the world comes from finding out what a person does when they're actually alone, Yeah, not even with their husband or wife or partner. Huh. Um, yeah, And that can be contradictory to who they are in every other aspect of their life. And uh, so I, I think... That I was very aware of that. So okay. I didn't feel... What was great about that was I didn't feel the need to fill that stuff in. I, I knew oh, okay. I was a guy who was putting on a front, mm-hmm. who was a mercenary character, who was in it for himself, and kind of admitted that. I mean, really just kind of... Yeah. That's implied in, in his speech to Walter is, I am um, a movable feast. I, I will go Ooh. wherever I can eat best and I don't care you know so I I don't have any scruples yeah 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 and
0: and so very showily unscrupulous as a character
1: yeah and so by knowing that I know that I'm playing just a front yeah and 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 I think the other Mm. thing that was indicated in the words was a spirited character uh huh Um, yeah you know he's entertaining yeah yeah theatrical he's entertaining himself he's he's distracting yeah. he's running sort of logic circles around mm-hmm. the person he's speaking with yeah
0: so all this stuff was you know apparent in the in the words and going I mean I, I want to hear so much about that first the first time you like read that script and read those lines wasn't Saul originally supposed to just be in like three episodes
1: well you know I don't really know but basically what Vince told me they asked me to do They said they needed me for three or four episodes. Mm -hmm. And I said I could only do three because the fourth episode, which was the final of the season, Uh um, I was already signed up to do How I Met Your Mother, where I did a Uh a fairly short recurring part on a couple episodes there. So I knew I couldn't do that fourth one, but they weren't even sure yet if they needed me. Um, In the end, they used Mike in that episode to they brought the Mike character in who was sent by me right and as a result Mike was born totally and uh, which is great for better call Saul and every th- every other thing yeah. Um, yeah and here you both are so, Emmy nominated <laughs> it's amazing yeah. yeah i know it's uh this is a crazy story and i don't i you know there's One of the great things about showbiz is good things can happen <laughs> out of nowhere, mm, yeah. and obviously lots of bad things can happen, but that's true anywhere you go in the world, yeah. any job you do. But in showbiz where there's a need for new material, new material is worth something just for being new, mm. um, and that's kind of really great for all of us whether you're a writer or an actor or a producer they mm-hmm. the the various you know buyers or the audience wants to see a new fresh idea yeah. and that alone counts for something
0: amazing well and i think about that moment too because before you first got that script for breaking bad you correct me if i'm wrong you considered yourself first and foremost a writer and not as much of an actor
1: oh yeah and
0: has no that changed question.
1: now you know, I don't... Because with
0: Bob I, and David, I do th- it's so terrific. Uh, without, I mean, yeah, can. oh,
1: thank you. Well, that I do think about um, my acting career. I do think about what I can do next and what would be a challenge mm-hmm. or what I would like to try to do. Um, but I can't help uh, looking at the world as a writer waking up every day and thinking I better get a I better get some paper and write something today mm. and very often I don't and so we go to bed feeling shamed mm. wow and that's like what drives you writer. to
0: like translate Richard the Third into into shittier English
1: yes that's right that's <laughs> exactly right um that's so cool it's absolutely true well, I'm writing a book right now uh-huh. about my career my brilliant career oh cool um And it is very much uh, with the thought in mind of people who are, you know, trying to make it in the business. oh, cool. Because I feel like I've gotten to do a lot of different things, and uh, I've also had ups and downs. A lot of people think... I don't know. I guess they think I've only had ups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's how but it But I don't know. I, yeah. I think if you take apart my IMDb page, you'll <laughs> definitely see some downs. And, yeah, I want to share the excitement mm. of that whole
0: journey. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a book for backstage users, for the early career actor types. Yeah.
1: Honestly, it very much is. It's... Um, you know, it's it's a book that I'm hoping parents and relatives will buy their kids who are trying to make it or are considering a career in the business, and then those same parents will regret it when the kid <laughs> reads it and goes, Yeah, according to Mr. Odenkirk, I'm making the right choice yeah. by going into showbiz. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not what the book's supposed to tell you. Right. It's supposed to keep you from going into
0: it. Oh. <laughs> I mean that can be good advice too. It's so interesting the um, the fact that you're. It's so true. You've your career has been all over the place, and the, of course people see the ups more than they see the downs. Um, but I yeah. didn't realize that you are really one of those writers that you you can't go to bed, um, fe- you know, on a day that you haven't written, feeling feeling kind of empty that day. That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that that goes back to when I was. Fourteen or fifteen, and I uh-huh. at first thought, you know, I, I love reading so much, and I thought maybe I could be a writer, a novelist, you know. Cool. Uh-huh. And um, I kept a journal and I wrote every day, and hmm. and it was all bad. I mean, and I did that right. for I did that for maybe fifteen years, mm-hmm. and I threw it all away, oh, cool. all of it. Wow. Yeah. it. it was just so bad. It was just the worst. Brain dripping Mm -hmm. nothingness.
0: But you need Um, that to get better.
1: Well, I guess. I don't know. I mean I was Hmm. without a doubt attracted to sketch comedy. So Mm -hmm. it overtook my any um pretensions I had to being a I wanna keep wanting to say a real writer. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) As though that is a it is a little different. Sure. But um I mean I can And, and the same is true now. I mean it's still true. I I uh I'm writing this book and yeah. every time I try to write like a um fiction writer, uh, I read it the next day and it's just the worst <laughs> horrible shit. You know who is a great writer is Norm MacDonald. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I don't know if you saw his uh biography that he wrote this this no. very funny um, and very uh fictive, um, mm. nonfiction um, that he wrote. He is just a wonderful. He writes great sentences. He drops imagery all around mm-hmm. <laughs> and and impactful stuff. It's it's just he, I wish I could write as well as him, but it's okay. I'm gonna write as well as me. Yeah, and I'm going to tell my story, and I'm going to try to be honest. And this is the challenge because I come from comedy, and the the desire is to make fun of whatever yourself, yes. the sentence, the memory, the incident, to exaggerate and ridicule. Mm-hmm. And I don't. In the end, that just wouldn't be that. Um, I'm going to have fun with it, and hopefully it'll be entertaining. But I feel like if I don't tell the truth, it's really worthless. It's just a waste of paper. So um, I also think you know. I know what it's like to wonder about what is what is life in show business. What what is that like? How does it feel? How do you, for a person who's gone to a lot of different places in the business, what is the experience of that? You know. Uh-huh. Um, and I'd like to help people understand what that is. And and I think you know there are people certainly who go into this to in the hopes of becoming a big star and that never drove me and was confusing when I the the amount of celebrity I have is confusing to me uh-huh um uh-huh. Huh. but what about the people who go into it for a different reason for for the reason of they really enjoy the work of it whether it's writing or putting up a show or acting, right? They just it makes them smile, and and makes them really. Uh, it's a great reward to right. do it. Right. What about that person? Can that mm. can the can the business be uh, rewarding overall for that person? And in what way? Mm. Um, and that's that's sort of I what I want to explore.
0: Yeah, and it feels like, it seems like it's sort of rewarding in ways that you can never quite expect. Like, no, certainly yeah. in your case, no one could have predicted that someone who started in the Chicago theater uh, comedy scene, SNL, that kind of, and then super, super into sketch comedy and then suddenly Breaking Bad. Like, that is a, a left turn. And as you're right. saying, the level of celebrity, I'm assuming, kind of shot upward with, with Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. And now I do feel like you're best known as Saul Goodman or as Jimmy McGill. When
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. But at the same time, there's still a... a a huge number of people. If all I had was the people who know my comedy, I'd still mm. have a an audience yeah. that would be I'd be extremely proud of. and oh, sure. And I could continue making projects with just that audience around
0: me. Yeah, because Mr. Show and had I'd, a cult following for sure.
1: Mr. Show, Tenacious D, Tim and Eric, yeah. all that stuff all bundled up.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: is is enough to make a career for sure yeah uh that would make me very happy right it did make me very happy yeah and then you add this new very different thing on top of it right and i and i want to do right by this opportunity and but i i i have a strange relationship to it but it's a good one i think it's a healthy one Hmm. overall
0: that's so interesting yeah and i mean if a lot of this too was you as a producer. I mean, is a is a producer hat different from the writer hat or the sketch writer hat? Oh yeah, I think it is. And I, I think, assume being you know, a producer, producer on a drama is different too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think if you want to suck the joy out of art, become a producer.
0: <laughs> oh no. Uh,
1: unless you are naturally a producer. Sure. Um, which in which case you'll have a great time. Mm. Um, Those kind of people. But if you're, you're a writer. Yeah. Or a director or an actor, I feel like adding that producer hat is mm. something everybody wants to do, and it's understandable, and you kind of have to do it at a certain level. You really should do it, at least for the experience of it. Mm. But really, it is a way of sucking the fun out of it. Who, oh, God. I heard a great quote. Oh, I'm not going to remember this. Oh, I should attribute this quote. <laughs> Matthew Reese told me this. I think it might be Patton Oswalt. No. Might be Patton Oswalt. Uh-huh. If you're hearing this, please help me find whose quote this is. They said, being a director, writer, producer, any of those jobs, is like being the parent of a baby. You want to take care of it. You stress. Every night you go to bed thinking, hmm. oh, man, I think I screwed up today. Oh, I think I messed up the baby. I screwed up their psyche. I didn't do it right. I know I can do better. Oof, I screwed up. I got to do a better job tomorrow. Hmm. And being an actor is like being the uncle oh. of a of a child with lots of candy in your pocket. And you come in, you give him all the candy you want, and you have a good time, and then you leave and sleep great and don't even worry about it. <laughs> you don't think twice about what Whoa. happened. Yeah. I mean, you do. You do walk away from the set. And believe me, on this Spielberg project I did, I had a lot of second thoughts Oh, dogging me. Did I do a good job? Did I give him what he wants? Mm. What is he looking for exactly? Yeah. How can I do better next time? But to a great extent, you you your job as an actor is to be in the moment, right? Right. And and you really you you just be present and you do it with all that you know about the character, and then you walk away and you clear your mind. Right. That's the right thing to do. And and hmm. with the producing, especially with the producing, you walk away and you think about problems to solve yeah you can't either banish problems it you from made yeah. problems coming that next day or problems you made for yourself <laughs> the day you worked. so hmm. That's I, I honestly that, think yeah. everybody should do everything you know sure. I, I think if you want to be a director you should take an acting class and just get a sense of what it's like absolutely yeah and and you and if you want to be a producer you certainly should direct something mm-hmm. small and know what that feels like you should write something and have somebody else make put it up you should feel mm-hmm. what that suffering is like <laughs> you should act you know not i don't think everybody needs to do it every day but it's just right try improv when try sketch try yeah when you're young do this stuff do all of it Shakespeare. even if you know yeah. what you want right you'll you'll just be a better director if you have tried to act you'll have a better sense of what you know when you when you're acting, I, I I know that when the director says cut, you know the more experienced you are, the less nervy you mm. are, the less uncertain you are of yourself. Sure. But still, you wonder where are we at in this process after you say cut? Yeah. Did, did, are we getting there? Is it closer? Yeah. Are you cutting because the lighting was wrong? Are you cutting because mm. we were terrible? <laughs> what? What just happened? What's the first thing in your mind you want to ask the director? So I know when I direct to say, cut, you know, we need to do this whole thing faster, or the lighting wasn't very good, or you guys are great, keep Mm. doing that, and then deal with the problem. Gotcha. But, you know, first thing I do is give the actor some general sense of
0: what just happened. Yeah, to keep them focused and in the present, in the moment, like you're saying.
1: Yeah, and then you carry on. Dealing with whatever crew issue or lighting issue or camera issue that you have, mm. and the actors get, have something to chew on for the two to four minutes it takes or whatever it takes to mm-hmm. deal with that problem. Yeah, interesting.
0: And it's funny you say that about the idea of walking away from the show as an actor. You're the uncle, but as a producer, you can't walk away from any of the logistics of the show, and you gotta. Of course, you gotta keep thinking about it, especially right. when you're the producer of the show that you're the lead role i assume yeah and brian cranston said the same thing he actually told us that it's true that when your producer hat is on you have to have that self critical i mean when you're sitting watching yourself on the lens and figuring out how to best tell that story i mean is it a, a bit of a switching of hats actor producer actor producer on yeah, any given day yeah for sure yeah
1: yeah well i don't i don't uh, sweat the production that much on better call saul And, in fact, I didn't ask for that title. Oh. Um, Oh. Yeah. No, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould wanted me to share in that title because they're very smart guys. Mm -hmm. And they knew that, you know, as years went by, if we were lucky enough to carry on, that they would want to have me on their side, all of us together as a team. Mm -hmm. and And I think it's probably smart to have the actor feel some responsibility for the whole project. Sure. But honestly, I've produced like the actual job of sweating every detail. Mm. I've done it a lot okay. in my life. Yeah. And I didn't want that um, pressure on this show. And mm. I still, to su- to a great extent, refuse to accept the, the pressure of it. Mm. Because I, I just feel like also people ask me if I want to direct Better Call Saul. And I just there's no way. Really? It's, it, yeah, I'm just a much better actor because I don't have to deal with any of that. And if there's mm. a challenging scene, and there are often challenging scenes on Better Call Saul that are personal, and a person is you know, revealing some mm-hmm. something, kind of a deeper motivation, uh, maybe they're under a lot of pressure. I mean, these guys write the characters into some pretty um, emotional places. Yeah. And I need, as an actor, I need to be able to sit in that vibe, feel those feelings, and live in that um, space, in that moment, for a couple hours, maybe, mm. while we do those that scene. And and I I can't I can't be taken out of that thinking about <laughs> logistics totally. or some, you know what I mean? Totally. So I am a producer on the show. And I'll weigh in, but very respectfully, to Vince and Peter about, gotcha, um, you know, the direction of the show or or some bigger concern. And also, occasionally they'll come to me and say, "We we have this issue with the show overall, and what how, how do you feel about it?" And I'll always say, "Whatever you guys
0: want." Oh, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, on Mr. Show and with Bob and David and yeah. numerous other projects, Girlfriend's Day, a movie that I love yeah. that I made for Netflix that I'm really proud of. And I uh, really it makes me smile every time yeah. I think about it or watch it. Uh, totally. Uh, that I was a real producer on. I mean, I, I really yeah. had to think about every choice we made and whether we could afford it and mm. You know how to how to follow through on
0: on getting it made, right? Without getting into spoiler territory, and I know season four is not until twenty eighteen or whatever. But um, I know where Forever. is this character on the scale from Jimmy to Saul? Like where is he on that evolution as of end of season three?
1: I personally think he's three quarters of the way there. Wow! Okay. I, I I think when wow. he made the choice to. Um, and I, this is I guess a spoiler alert. Yeah. Do they still do spoiler alerts or do they just spoil know. everything? I don't know how we feel nowadays. about spoiler
0: alerts on this podcast, but but go ahead.
1: I've I seen I think the show. that he did some very uh selfish things in the last season that were avowedly selfish and he knew what he was doing and he And he knew knew yeah. who he was hurting and hmm. and he went all in and uh yeah. I think when he did those things, that was uh, Saul, and I don't know, Mm. even though he felt bad afterwards, I think the big difference is Jimmy McGill, everybody who was hurt in his world, most most everybody was collateral damage that he never saw coming, Mm. and the difference is Saul is a guy who's wised up to the fact that there are victims to his schemes and his mm. shortcuts mm. and he doesn't care yeah. because he's mad at the world wow. and he feels shortchanged and he feels like he has some he he's um he's acting cynically mm-hmm. out of a uh, anger and frustration and and personal sadness uh that drives him to uh to be self uh, selfish, yeah, and and he and he's fully aware of it. He right. has a very he's very conscious of the fact that this isn't good for this person I know. Mm. So what? It's good yeah. for me.
0: Yeah, and, and I love that idea of going all in on this on that selfishness because I do feel like the show keeps presenting him with options of like you could go all in and hurt these people and and become more like Saul, or you could right. not, and he's consciously choosing. Go right. all
1: in. And I think his justification is I'm, I'm, the world has hurt me so much and yeah. it won't give me a break. I can't get a break. So I'm going to just take advantage of every chance I can of anybody or anything. And uh, yeah. because. And he's naturally know, talented I, at that, at taking advantage yeah. of
2: people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I do think oh. he's, I said to Peter and Vince that. The only thing left is for him to buy some lime green socks. And right. and you know, basically he is all, Last step. all he's gotta do is get the clothes. But I I think that that's not entirely true, but the we're more than halfway there. Wow, yeah. At a certain point, by the way, some of this stuff is you know, it's setting up the dominoes and then they start to fall and they just fall and fall and fall. Yeah. And I think we're in the falling place now mm,
0: mm-hmm. we're
1: we're in we're it's all crumbling down now the interesting thing about Saul, as opposed to walter white is obviously in the story as it's being told he has a potentially a you could say a fourth act or mm-hmm. i don't know if it's third or fourth act mm-hmm. slipping jimmy then jimmy mcgill then Saul goodman mm. then gene hmm post breaking bad and we and don't potentially, know a lot about yeah, potentially he could put his life back together.
0: Hmm.
1: Maybe an arc in an know. opposite way from Walter White. But right now hmm. to some extent his arc is like Walter White in that he's degrading as we watch him hmm. and his inner demons are are you know coming to the fore mm-hmm. and, and becoming the powerful uh the more powerful uh angels. Hmm. You know, driving him along.
0: Yeah. Gosh, it's such a, what a wonderful gift for an actor. You get to just deal with, I mean, you got, you as an actor must sit there thinking about these demons, about these in, angels and demons in this character, and yeah. their writing is so nuanced. You just get to chew on that in every single episode. It's a, an amazing Not only that, I get
1: study. to, in the course of an episode, I get to play, and I submitted the You know, they ask you what episode you want to submit for the Emmys. Uh After if you get nominated, they say, "Well, submit an episode, and we'll ask people to screen it." Uh I guess. And um, I picked the episode seven, which has pretty much almost pure comedy in it, where he's making this um, advertisement for a music music store in town, and then it has real pain and drama. In this scene, with a social, with a uh, uh, insurance ex- insurance person, and he's, you know, he's uh, crying mm-hmm. and sort of letting out a lot of uh, frustration and sadness about his circumstance, which he then manipulates that emotion to manipulate the woman, the insurance. Uh, adjuster Mm -hmm. or whatever insurance executive into investigating his brother yeah so it's just got i mean to to pick up a script and see (laughs) you know five pages of comedy followed by in the same episode you know five pages of personal revelation Mm -hmm. and suffering (laughs) it's like what who gets to do that totally i mean totally i'm i'm really uh it's just ridiculous what I've been given. It's not right. There's no justification for it uh, in my past, and all I can do is <laughs> be thankful for it, take every moment and play it honestly, and be in the moment, and uh, yeah. and try to be honest uh, in my performance, especially regarding the emotional moments so that they don't, so they play uh, honestly. Yeah and don't come across
0: overplayed or fraudulent. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's excellent advice. I mean, does that double as, I always like asking actors like, what would you tell your younger, early career artist self? In your case, the you know aspiring writer watching Monty Python as a kid. Like, is that kind of staying in the moment and that treatment of the material, is that what you would tell your younger self?
1: Well, that's certainly what I would tell any actor Mm -hmm. you know acting is challenging because it's hard it's the hardest thing to work on in a um theoretical manner Mm. you you have to just do it yeah and and it's kind of got a zen quality to it a kind of a practice you know like like meditation is always called practice Mm. you know um Mm. You know, and that's all you can ever... The only way to explore it is to practice it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you can read about it some and doesn't hurt, and yeah. it certainly helps to read about how to make a life as an actor. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you balance life goals and expectations? Yeah. But the thing itself, you, you just have to do it a lot, you know? Um, or think about it a lot in, in, the, in a meditative type way where you try to connect with the inner um process Mm. of of being in the moment which is weirdly i would say as a writer and all the years i spent writing Mm -hmm. that's what helped me the most as an actor when i first started doing Mm saul was taking the script and doing a reverse engineering of the character Based on the writing, which is something I'm used to doing with writing, is taking something that I've written and asking myself, "What have I got here?" As I do a rewrite, okay. you know, what 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 was driving me? What did I what did I come up with? What did I miss when I first wrote it? That's really in there. That's maybe a better joke, because I was writing comedy, right? Or huh. tells me indicates some real uh, journey for this wow. piece. Okay. And so the same. I, I basically did the same thing with the character as written in Breaking Bad, was take the script, huh. identify what was happening in the character's mind and by, by taking apart his words and, and uh, yeah, that
0: the emotional thrust
1: of, of a monologue. It was how I got close to the character. Huh. And so I, I really think that came from, from writing. Interesting. You know, my my ability to, whatever ability I
0: had to, figure out this character. And do you do that for every epi- for every script of, of yeah. Better Call Saul? You kind of reverse engineer and and find the character's arc or that. Same with Fargo.
1: Uh huh. Same thing happened with Fargo. Mm hmm. I Another mean, you have dramatic. What do piece. you have? Is you have the script, and you have not just the words, but you have the stage direction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a clue in there. Mm. And sometimes the clue is, you know, here's a room of people talking and I'm only saying two things. Well, what kind of person Hmm. doesn't speak up very much? Sure. And it could be a person who has no power or it could be a person who has tons of power
0: and uh, waits for their moment. Excellent. Well, this has all been, you've just given us really wonderful advice for early career actors and I think early career writers as well. Um, Is there anything else that early, you know actors at the beginning of their careers need to know. You know one thing
1: I think people do sometimes is they um, they they have something they think they might want to do whether it's move to LA um, play do a Shakespeare play mm-hmm, one day mm-hmm. um, see if they could do a lead in a in something you know what they would be like as a lead you just try any way you can to do these things as quickly as you can. Mm. You don't have to you don't have to commit to any of it, but you have to at least you can't sit and think about it mm. for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're 24 and you think you might want to go to LA, well if you have a friend in LA, <laughs> come to LA, spend two weeks, see everything you can, do everything you can and then go back home. And instead of thinking about this thing that you might do one day and you don't know what LA's like or New York, you'll have a more, you'll have a real, I was in New York. You'll be like, I know what it's like right. to some extent. Yeah. And if you want to be a lead in a Shakespeare play and you think, you know, start, just do it do in it. some capacity, yeah. you know, get a couple friends together and read a Shakespeare mm-hmm, play mm-hmm. and give yourself the lead and, and just, don't have, you know, you don't have to commit to things, but you do have to try them in reality and not just have them in the back of your mind as something you're hoping one day you might get to do. We get to make these things happen. And even if it's just in a room in your house, Uh you can get people together and you can try these things or whatever it is You, you get in there and get to making it yeah and yeah. then then do your thinking do your musing and your planning and your hoping based on something that you've tried right
0: right right right, right. on that experience yeah yeah like, and that's if, my big advice absolutely and if you're in a small town in Illinois and you want to move to Chicago and do comedy you should do that right
1: well yes <laughs> I mean you should at least visit Chicago for three or four days exactly. if you could crash on somebody's couch get your ass yeah. in there yeah and and then see as much as you can yeah. like small theaters go there and say i don't have any money can i usher for the night mm. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. help can i do the coat check and then watch the second half of the show or some shit like that right and, right you know just get in there and then go ahead and go back home and now when you think about I wonder if I should move to Chicago." You won't be thinking about something you've never done that gets scarier and scarier Mm. every year that you don't do it Mm -hmm. and gets more mysterious and more mysterious and it'll be the opposite. It'll be a whole lot less mysterious and you can either go, oh yeah, Chicago was terrible. I'm not doing that. Or you can go, oh, I think I know where I'd fit in there or I got to try again or I'm not afraid of it. It's not some...
0: You know, unknown. Wonderful, that's wonderful advice. Thank you, Bob. This okay, has been cool. amazing. Uh, that was a great interview for actors, but also aspiring writers. Absolutely, comedy writers, drama writers, sketch. Shakespeare. People who want to turn uh, Shakespeare into more relatable modern day language.
2: Yeah, yeah. Actor, writer, producers mm-hmm. or any combination thereof.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and as Bob pointed out, uh, to do a little bit of everything is probably a good move because it will make you better at the thing that you want to do, at your at your passion, at that thing that's really pushing you. Yeah.
2: And it helps you to be uh, more sympathetic to those you're working with, I would have thought. Right.
0: Yeah. Because I can't believe how much work it takes to be
2: a producer. He clearly has a huge amount of respect for Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan.
0: Yes. Um, and I think that collaborative spirit is evident in his performance. It's such a great show.
2: Definitely. What
0: Definitely. an amazing character study. I'm so yeah. glad we got to kind of peel back the curtain on, on Saul and on Bob. He's he amazing.
2: It's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Um, shall we roll credits? I think it's time to roll credits. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Be sure to like, rate and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the 2017 Emmy race. In The Envelope and Awards podcast is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA in Los Angeles. Thank you as always to producer, editor and all-around podcast wizard Jamie Muffett. You can follow him at JamieMusicNYC on Twitter. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you, as always, to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rappaport, Ryan Remstad, Jesse Balashek, Francis Ramos, Mark Stinson, Rwan al and especially, definitely, without a doubt, Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse in the envelope.